You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Hey, New Song Students, how's it going? I heard it was the best day of the week. Is it the best day of the week? I think it is. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I love New Song students. I wish I was a New Song student. (laughs) I get so excited when Pastor Jackson invites me to come and speak. I feel so honored and excited and I feel so cool. I get to hang out with the cool kids tonight. And so I'm pumped to be here. Um, Before I get into the message, I just want to let you guys know, and I'm going to cry because I'm a crier. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you, new song students. I see you worshiping. I see you pursuing God. I see you on Sundays, like in community, worshiping together. I see you serving in kids' classes. I see you, Gage, where's Gage? I see you and Zane serving in production and just going on missions trips and serve Saturday. And you are just... You're just the church, and it's so exciting, and I'm so extremely proud of you. Keep it up. Like, keep chasing after God. It is where it's at. I'm telling you, there's nothing else in this world worth chasing after, just Jesus. Keep it up. Keep chasing after him. Keep pursuing him. He has big plans for you. You're walking in them already. But man, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. He has some things for you, New Song students, and I'm just proud of you. And I hope you know how good you have it. Um, This is the best students ministry anywhere ever. I'm convinced of it. Like if you've gotten used to it, if you've taken your leaders for granted, taken Pastor Jackson for granted, just remind yourself. Maybe next week bring a note and tell somebody, tell your small group leader, tell them how much they mean to you. You guys really do have it so good here. This is not like my students ministry growing up. Man, I wish I wish I had a student's ministry like this. So I just want you to know how good you have it. Do you guys love New Song students? You love Pastor Jackson? Yes. So there we go. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm going to continue our series in the gray. You guys have been going deep. You've been talking about hell and politics, and it's been awesome. Um, the, na- the name of my message tonight, if you're taking notes, is Don't Chance It, change it. Don't chance it, change it. Now, there's something that you guys need to know about me, okay? I'm really, really, really good at Monopoly. (laughs) Like, really good at Monopoly. And my family loves Monopoly like no other family I know loves Monopoly. And I'm not talking about like me and Josh and and my three kids. I'm talking about like my family growing up, like my roots, my mom, my dad, my brothers and sisters. I have a huge family. I have four older sisters and an older brother, then me, then my little brother. That's seven of us. And there's a ton of grandkids, nieces, nephews. Gus has like 17 cousins. And, um, but I'm the best in the family at Monopoly. Gus's oldest cousin is Justin. Where's Justin? That's my, that's my little nephew. Did you guys know that? And that's Gus's cousin, his oldest cousin. I'm the best in the family at Monopoly. Justin is the second best. 
okay, how can I make these claims? How can I say these things? Uh, do I have two to three witnesses to back me up? I do. I have 15 Monopoly tournaments to back it up. My family, my family hosts a legit Monopoly tournament every year. COVID kind of killed it, but I talked to my mom this week and she's bringing it back. And so 15 Monopoly tournaments, I haven't played in all of them. I've let somebody represent the Blunt family a couple times and he let us down. But out of the 15 tournaments, I haven't played in all of them, but I've won five of the titles. Now, if you do the math, 15 tournaments, five titles, that's a third of all Monopoly tournaments that I am the champion of. I have the title of. Justin is the next most winningest with, what is it, two? Two titles? Two? My dad said I checked this week with the keeper of the books, and he said it was two. Okay, so two or three. He's the next most winningest. And the only reason that he started winning is because he started copying my strategy. There is a strategy. If you didn't know, Monopoly is not just like roll the dice and see. There is a strategy. So I'm, I'm very good at Monopoly. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is our first point. What Tom Brady is to the Super Bowl, Sarah is to her family Monopoly tournament. Now, if you've played Monopoly, you recognize these little cards. They've got the question mark on them. Anybody know what these question mark cards are called? Chance. chance cards, right? They're called chance cards. And they're called chance because uh, there's a chance they might be good. And there's a chance they might be not so good. So you draw, roll the dice. This one says, advanced token to nearest utility. If unowned, you may buy it from the bank. If owned, throw the dice and pay the owner 10 times the amount thrown. So not so good, not so bad. This is actually, I think this is bad because you don't want to buy the utilities, right? That's part of the strategy. Utilities, railroads, stay away from them, okay? Monopoly pro tip. This one says, advance to St. Charles Place. If you pass go, collect $200. This is a good card. This is, this is a good one. You want St. Charles Place, okay? This one says, um, get out of jail free. It's a good card, right? You just don't know what you're going to get. There's a chance it could be bad pay poor tax of $15. That's not good. And there's a chance it could be good. Bank pays you dividend of $50. So they're aptly named, right? It's a chance. Chance it's going to be good. Chance it's going to be bad. Now this roll the dice, like just kind of take a chance on things. This is okay. This is fitting for a board game. This is also fitting for certain things in life. Like there's certain things you can take chances with. Like I'm taking a chance. I'm going to go see the new Batman movie on Friday with Josh, finally. I may like it. I may not. I don't know, but I'm willing to take a chance, right? Or like your weekend. You may not have your weekend all the way planned out yet. You're taking a chance. You're going to wake up on Saturday, and you're just going to see what happens. Take a chance on the weekend, right? Maybe it's your outfit for school tomorrow. Some of you already have it laid out. You've already thought about it. You know what you're wearing. Some of you are like, I'm just taking a chance, hoping that my mom is washing some laundry right now so that I have matching socks to wear to school tomorrow. There are some things it's okay to take chances on. And you've probably discovered that there's some things you don't want to chance, like passing that test, right? Wow. You don't want to take a chance. You want to study, you want, to, you want to come to school like hydrated so your brain is fully functioning. You want to do the note cards and study for the test. You don't want to chance it. 
you want to do all you can to pass the test. Or maybe it's a sports team. Maybe you're like, no, I don't care about school, but maybe it's a sports team. And you are going to do everything you can to try to make that sports team. You're not going to leave it to chance. You're going to practice. You're going to condition. You're going to maybe have private lessons. You're going to get there on time. And if you don't make it, it's not going to be because you didn't try. Like, it's not going to be because you just left it up to chance. So there's some things we can take, uh, leave up to chance, and then some things that we don't want to leave up to chance. Okay, show of hands, crowd participation. If you are a planner and you do not like to leave things to chance, let me see your hand. Okay? Yes. This is, yep, yep, true. Okay? If you are spontaneous and you're like, fly by the seat of my pants. Let's just see what happens. Okay. Look around the room. We need both. We need people who are planners and we need people who are spontaneous. We balance each other out. I am the planner in my family. I plan everything. Josh is the one who is spontaneous. We balance each other out. But tonight, I want to talk to you guys about some things that people are leaving to chance that we should not be leaving to chance. Things that I see all the time that people are just like, well, just going to leave it to chance and see what happens. But these are the things that we don't want to leave to chance. This is eternal things. Not like a movie, not like a test, not like a sports team. These are eternal things, things that do matter and things that we can't leave to chance. So my message is don't chance it, change it. Say that with me. Don't chance it. Change Change it. Now tonight throughout the message to make sure that you are with me, we're going to do a callback. Okay. I'm going to say don't chance it. And when I do, you're going to answer change it. Okay, good. Let's practice one more time. Don't chance it. Change it. Good. All right. Okay, so not about, or we're talking about eternal things tonight, things that we are not to leave to chance. Let me give you a couple of examples, things that I see and things that I know from my own life that I've left to chance at times, okay? Like whether or not we're going to encounter the living God every day, like we're leaving it to chance. I kind of hope I bump into him. I mean, I know he's always with me, and he never leaves us or forsakes us, so I'm just kind of leaving it to chance, though, that I'm going to actually encounter God, and we forget that it's up to us. Like, that's on us. That's our responsibility to chase after him, to enter into his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. We leave whether or not our hearts are going to heal to chance. We experience hurt and we experience heartbreak. Maybe a coach or a sibling or somebody at school, some jerky guy like hurt your heart and you're hoping, just kind of leaving it to chance that like in six months from now, I won't feel this sad anymore. This won't hurt this bad anymore. We're just kind of hoping that we, 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 we land on the space where we magically feel better. When God says, no, guard your heart above all else. Don't leave the healing of your heart to chance. Bring it to me. He says, I want to heal your heart. We leave our joy to chance, which means we leave our strength to chance. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But instead of intentionally seeking his face, instead of intentionally putting ourselves in his presence where there's fullness of joy, we just kind of go from class to class, from post to post, just hoping that we're going to have some joy, experience some happiness. And I'm not talking about like that fleeting happy, like happy when things go your way. I'm talking about that joy. We need the joy of the Lord that keeps us and sustains us when we don't make the team, 
When we don't pass the test, when we don't get invited, there's that joy, the joy of the Lord that strengthens us. But we're just kind of leaving it to chance, hoping that we might land on some space that says, here, get out of depression, free card. We leave purity to chance. We leave connecting with mentors and friends to chance. We leave growing in our walk with God to chance. We leave hoping uh, to get over fear and anxiety, stress to chance. We leave making an actual difference in our world, in our sphere of influence to chance. We leave being transformed into the image of Jesus to chance. I know that's my destiny. I know I'm supposed to be being transformed, but I'm just kind of hoping that it happens, hoping that I, I get that card that says you win a contest for looking like Jesus. We leave it to chance. The bottom line is this. We leave our involvement in the plans of God to chance. Why? Why do we do this? Because this can be a gray area. You're in a series about the gray area, right? In the gray, this can be a gray area because people, they know that God is in control. They understand that God is Lord of all, that he is all powerful, that God is sovereign. And they think because God is in control and he's sovereign and he's Lord of all, I can kind of just take a back seat sit back and do nothing and hope that this God who is Lord over all and in control and sovereign just kind of moves and arranges my life and gets me where I need to be when I need to be there. Like he doesn't need my participation. This is a half truth, which makes it a gray area. The truth, the part that is true is that God is in control and that he is sovereign and that he is Lord over all. But the part that isn't true is that he doesn't need our active participation. So I'm here tonight to make some things black and white. I want to move you from gray to black and white to make it super clear for you to leave here knowing that, yes, God is sovereign and in control, but I have a part to play in seeing his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So real quick, I want to break down a big word that I've, I've said a couple times tonight. That's the word sovereign. Sovereign. You ever heard that word before? Somebody talks about how, how God is sovereign, the sovereignty of God. You can see it on the screen. Can you put it up there, guys? Okay, see the last five letters, R-E-I-G-N? That would be a good wordle, reign. Okay, see it, reign? Reign, I think about like a king or queen. They reign, right? A king or king reigns. This, this helps us to know that sovereign's talking about how God reigns. Here's the definition that I want you to write down of this big word sovereign. It means God has absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. It means Jesus is king, that he has all right to do whatever makes him happy, to do whatever brings him pleasure. Now, somewhere along the line, some Christians have taken the sovereignty of God and they've turned it in, into that excuse to just sit back and watch what God does. Like, I don't even really need to pray about this because God's in control. I don't really need to worry about making a difference because God's in control and he wants a difference made, then he'll make the difference. God's in charge. So, so why should I worry about these things? I'm going to just trust that everything works out in my favor. Listen, God is in charge and God is sovereign. But remember, remember the de definition of sovereign that we just wrote down. It means that 
you get to do all things according to your pleasure. And you know what brings God pleasure? It is us, it's me, and it's you being involved in his plans. It's him partnering, co-laboring with us. That's what brings the king pleasure. And the king gets to do what the king, what brings the king pleasure. That's what sovereignty is. This is what makes him happy. This is what floats his boat. He wants to work with us. Why? I have no idea. (laughs) Because we can be stubborn and we can be difficult and we mess up and we can we can be stupid and but he wants to work with us this is what makes him happy this is what uh he wants to do this is his own good pleasure to use us so here's the thing god's sovereign plan involves our involvement write it down god's sovereign plan involves our involvement, meaning that we have to participate. But I'll let you in on a little secret that I see in the Big Seed Church. It's really not a secret. You could probably spot it too. Um, I see a lack of participation in the body of Christ. I see a spirit of apathy, a spirit of laziness, people leaving the most valuable things to chance. The most valuable things, just leaving it to chance, waiting on things to just magically change because God's in charge. And God is like, yes, I am in charge. And I have charged you to partner with me to see my will done and to see my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I've charged you to bring healing, to bring order, to see God's will be done. He wants to work with us. Don't chance it. Change it. it. All right. I want you to bow your heads. We're not done. But I want to take a moment real quick. And I I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit a couple of questions tonight. I want him to kind of give you some fuel as as we have two quick points to go through. But I want, I want him to like give you a frame of reference. Like what is he speaking to you about tonight? So I want I want you to ask him. If there's an area in your life that you are chancing instead of partnering with God to bring about real change, what are you just leaving to chance? Just get quiet. Listen for his voice. It'll sound a lot like your own thought. Maybe it's it's one of the areas I mentioned earlier, like the healing of a broken heart, joy, Maybe it's your growing in your walk with God, transforming into his image. Maybe a diagnosis that a, some medical professional has given you or a family member. What are you leaving to chance? Hoping that it's all going to work out, but, but not working with God in partnership to see his will be done. Another question that might help you narrow it down is what have you stopped praying about? Or what have you never prayed for? You're just kind of waiting for it to change. I believe that the Holy Spirit's dropping some things into your heart. Maybe one, maybe two things. Maybe you didn't hear anything. That's okay. 
I believe by the end of the message, God will have spoken clearly to your heart about where he wants to partner with you at right now in this season. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray as we get in your word, Lord, that these hearts would be fertile, that as the seed goes out, the seed of the word of God, that it would take root in these hearts, that it would get planted in them, that they would produce fruit, some 30, some 90, some 50, some 100 fold fruit from tonight, from this word tonight, Lord. We are here, we are all in. We ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, I've got two thoughts for us to chew on tonight of how we facilitate change, how we partner with God to bring about change. Now, there's lots of ways to partner with God to bring about change. These are not the only two, but these are the two that I feel like um, I see people just kind of forgetting about or neglecting, okay? So the first one is this. We facilitate change with our words. Somebody say words. 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 Okay, in Genesis chapter 17, the first book of the Bible we read about how God facilitated change with his words. Actually, in Genesis 1, he starts facilitating change with his words, saying light be and light was. So he's always using his words to facilitate change. But we see this in Genesis chapter 17. It's been 25 years since God has promised this man named Abram that he was going to be the father of many nations. 25 years. Can you imagine waiting? 20? You're not 25. I'm 36. Yeah. I've never, I don't think there's anything I've ever waited 25 years for. That would mean I would have started waiting for it when I was 10, 9. I'm not good at math. But 25 years, I've never waited 25 years for something. Now, God made this promise to Abram. And now, 25 years later, he's coming back to Abram. Abram's 99 years old at this time. God appears to him. And this is what God says. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look on the screens. Genesis 17. Two, God says, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee, guarantee to give you countless descendants. Like he's like, you can bank on it. I guarantee you, you're going to have so many descendants, you're not going to be able to count them. Abram falls down on his face. This is a holy moment. God is talking to him. He's down on his face and God continues to talk. This is what God says next. This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing. Someone say changing. I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. Don't chance it. Change it. God literally changed it. He is changing Abram's name. And then a few verses later, he changes Abram's wife's name. Look at this in Genesis 17, 15 through 16. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I'll bless her richly. And she will become the mother of many nations kings of nations will be among her descendants. He didn't chance it. He changed it. Now, why would he change these names? Like a little syllable here, a little change here, Sarai to Sarah, Abram to Abraham. What was the significance behind these name change? Let's look. Okay, Abram meant father of many. Abraham meant father of many nations. 
It's an upgrade, right? It's speaking to the, the countless descendants. Like one's just like a father of a lot. Of, you got a lot of kids. This is father of many nations. You see the upgrade? Okay, then look at Sarai. Sarai means my lady or my princess. Sarah means the princess of a multitude. See the upgrade? See how he's speaking to the countless descendants that he's promising Abram and Sarah. So Abraham knew what these names signified. Now, I want you to see how Abraham responded to this name change. Genesis 17, 17, LOL, LOL, LOL. My translation. The real translation says, but he bowed to the ground and he laughed to himself in disbelief. He's like, yeah, I don't think so, God. Like, how can I become a father at the age of 100? And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? But then God says in verse 19, he says, I'm for real. He says, but for real, though, you are going to have a baby. Sarah is going to bear you a son and you are to call him Isaac. Now, I want you to think about this with me. I think sometimes we read about these Bible characters in the Old Testament and we forget like they were actual real people like us, like with feelings, with pride, with emotions, able to be embarrassed, right? And, and, and think about this, like Abram being a real person, I'm sure that it was difficult for him going through life with a name like Abram, father of many, when he had none. Like every time someone was like, what's up, Abram? He's like, what's up, father of many? Yeah, I don't, I don't have any kids. Now, God changes his name to father of many nations. And he's got to communicate this with people. Like he's got to go down to the DMV and get his driver's license changed and fill out the paperwork. Like I'm going from Abram to Abraham, please start calling me Abraham. And you know when he's leaving the office, when he's leaving the DMV, people are like, what is wrong? Poor, bless his heart. He's calling himself father of many nations now. Like, what is with this guy? And you know that it was probably hard to get used to for both he and Sarah. Have you ever known anyone? If you, if you haven't experienced this yet, just wait. It is coming. One of your friends is going to change their name at some point. Like, they're going to be like, you know what? I'm not going to go by Gus anymore. I'm going to go by my first name, Joseph, or I'm going to go by my, my middle name. I'm going to go by Augustus, okay? It's going to happen someday. Some, one of your friends is going to change their name. This happened to me in my students' group. I had a friend named Jeremy. Knew him like my, my whole childhood. And then one day he says, I'm going to go by my middle name. Please start calling me Curtis. We tried. I know. Bad, bad call. Uh, sorry if your name is Curtis. <laughs> but, but we tried, but it never stuck because we've been calling this kid Jeremy for 10 years. Now we can't just start calling him Curtis. Imagine this with Abram and Sarah or Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, imagine Sarah, like, I'm sure she had to catch herself often and be like, Abram, oh, I mean, Abraham, Abraham, will you go check the mail? Abram, I mean, er, Abraham, sorry, can you go walk the camels? Or Abram, oh, sorry, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put like a, a shekel in the coin jar every time I say your name wrong, okay? Abram, no, Abraham. And I imagine it was hard for Abraham to get used to calling his wife Sarai, calling her Sarah, but this is what God 
wanted. He wanted them to call things that be not as though they were. They were not fathers or mothers of many nations when God changed their names. This is why this name change was laughable to Abraham. But God said, go ahead and start calling yourselves and each other that don't chance it. Change it with your words. Our God, the one true God. Listen, our God is a God who calls those things that be not as though they were. This is our God. Paul writes about it in Romans 4, 17 through 18. If you want to dig deeper, this verse, these couple of verses in Romans 4, 17 through 18, I encourage you students, like, do a deep dive in these verses. There's so much here. It says, Abraham was first named father, then became a father. First named father, then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life with a word, make something out of nothing. He believed to do what only God could do. Only God can, with a word, make nothing or make something out of nothing. Only God can do this. God's word, his name change coming out of Abram and Sarah's or Abraham and Sarah's mouth, it had the power to make something out of nothing. Not because they were magic words. They, like those words didn't get Sarah pregnant, but those words began to fill them with faith in God, that God could do what he said they would do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So every time they said Abram, father of many nations, and every time they said Sarah, multitude, mother of a multitude, it built up their faith that God could do what he said he would do. When everything was hopeless, if you ever feel hopeless, New Song students, get in the word and get a word from God because he can take nothing and turn it into something with a word. This is our God. When it was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to, this is what we got to do. We have to make a decision, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. This is why Abraham is the father of our faith. He decided to not live on what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. Are you looking at just your circumstances, what you see in the natural, or are you looking at the word of God and basing your life on his word? This is how we actively participate in God's sovereign plans. Abraham and Sarah didn't leave this calling to be these great father and mother to chance. They weren't like, ah, oh, God's got it. He's sovereign. If he wants to happen, it's going to happen. No, they participated in this. They went along with this. They had to start voicing God's plan before they saw it come to reality. You want to see change in your heart, quit calling it broken and start calling it healed. Well, it doesn't feel healed. Well, first name then became. First name father then became father. First name healed then became healed. Stop calling it broken. Begin calling it 
heal? Do you want to see a change in your joy? Start calling or stop calling yourself depressed and start calling yourself joyful. God says that you are joyful, that he has a spirit of joy for you, that there is a, a fullness of joy in his presence. First named joyful, then became joyful. Don't wait for your feelings to catch up. You get in front of your feelings with faith. You want to see a change in how you see yourself, that negative self-talk that you think doesn't matter because nobody hears you saying it, but you're saying, I'm a loser, I'm not good enough, God doesn't love me, I'm not chosen, I'm not special. You start saying what God says over you. He says that you are holy, that you are set apart, that you are his priceless treasure, that he wants to use you, that it is great pleasure to work through you, first named son, daughter, then became son and daughter. Begin to, to fill your mind with the word of God. You want to see a change in your health? Stop calling yourself sick and tired and start calling yourself healed and whole. Healed and whole. Start calling yourself healed and whole. Don't chance it. Change it. Change, it. change your dialogue. Begin voicing God's word. Begin filling yourself with faith. You want your faith to grow. You need to hear God's word coming out of your mouth, not your word. It's not your word. It's, it's the thing. It says that he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Your word can't do this. My word can't do this. It's only God's word that can make something out of nothing. It's only God's word that can make those things that are not as though they were. This isn't about manipulating scripture. It's not about like God giving you like selfish desires of your heart, like just calling. It's, it's about understanding God's will for your life and that you have a part to play in it. What's not in your life right now that God has promised you? What is a not? Call those things that be not as though they were. Maybe you're dealing with something like insomnia, can't sleep at night. I dealt with that in seventh grade, and it was one of the hardest years of my, uh, like, teen years in seventh grade. Something traumatic happened to a student at our school, and then I just was traumatized, and I couldn't sleep. And then I couldn't stay awake in class because that night I couldn't sleep. And I, I just, the devil was just kicking my butt. And I wish I had this principle because I would be able to see in Scripture that God gives his beloved sleep. And that he makes those, uh, he, he, he causes us to lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still water. And I could have begun to call myself sound sleeper. First name sound sleeper, then became sound sleeper. Thankfully, my dad called me out of my class at church one night and I went forward to the altar and my pastor prayed for me and I was immediately healed. But there's things going on in your life that you're dealing with. What does God say about it? First name sound sleeper, then became sound sleeper. God changed a lot of names throughout scripture. Saul to Paul, Jacob to Israel, Simon to Peter. What's he asking you to rename? What is he asking you to rename? Don't chance it. Change it. And it may be hard for you to get used to at first because you've been calling things like you see them for a long time. And so you might have to be like Abram or Abraham and Sarah and put a quarter in the quarter jar. Like you're going to have to catch yourself when you're like, oh, God can never use me. Like I'm not going on the mission trip. Oh, I mean, no. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And God wants to use me. 
in this world to make a difference. Oh, I'll never get married. No one's ever going to like me. Like, no guy's ever going to ask me out. No, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He has a plan for me. He's going to order my steps. He's going to help me to find a person that I can be happily married to and build God's kingdom with. He withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Oh, the Bible's too hard. I could never understand. That's too deep. I'm not smart. Nope, 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 nope. God says that, that he helps me to grow in wisdom and favor and stature with God and man. Catch yourself. It'll be difficult, but catch yourself and change it with your words. Number two, and I'll have the band come up at this time, or the keys. Number two, we facilitate change through prayer. Through prayer. How's your prayer life, New Song students? How's your prayer life? Did you pray today before you walked into the room? Have you talked to God at all before you walked into these doors? Or maybe this is one of those areas that you're kind of like just phoning it in because of the God's sovereign thing. Like, I don't really need to pray about this because God's in control. He's Lord of all. He's got it. I'm just going to let him do his thing. I love this verse I'm about to read you in James 5 because it shows us what kind of change that normal people can bring about through prayer? What kind of change, like crazy supernatural change that we can bring about through prayer? It's about Elijah. It says in James 5, 17 through 18, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, with the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. You know what that means? Elijah was not a superhero. He was not a faith superhero. He was just like you, and he was just like me. He had limitations in his mind, in his body, in his spirit. He had shortcomings. He was just like us. But then it says, and he prayed intensely. Someone say intensely. He prayed intensely for it not to rain, and it did not rain on the earth. For three years and six months. Because Elijah, a normal guy like us, prayed intensely. It did not rain for three months. And then he prayed again when God was ready for it to rain again. He wanted to partner with Elijah. So Elijah prays, and then the sky gave rain, and the land produced its crops as usual. I love everything about this verse. It shows us that me and you, normal everyday followers of Jesus Christ can bring about supernatural, superhero change. Like that's superhero stuff. Controlling the weather, no rain for three years because he prayed intensely. Now, what does this word intensely mean? What does it mean to pray intensely? Does it mean we have to pray really loud? Does it mean that we have to like just get the veins in our neck popping out and we got to like hold our fists tight or pray really long or like uh, pray really like big words and no it, it doesn't that's not what it means okay sometimes when I want to understand what a certain word in a verse means like a word like intensely stands out for me and I'm trying to like really wrap my mind around what this word intensely means I think about the opposite of that word. And here's what the opposite of intense prayer is. The opposite of intense prayer is indifferent prayer. And this is how most people pray. Do you know what it means to be indifferent? It means you don't love it. You don't hate it. You don't really care 
you're indifferent, okay? So I'm gonna list off a few things to help you just really understand what this word indifferent means, okay? I'm gonna lift, lift off, or I'm gonna, I got seven things. I'm gonna say uh, a subject, and if you love it, I'm gonna say love, you're gonna raise your hand. I'm gonna say hate, you're gonna raise your hand. I'm gonna say indifferent, whatever one you are, love, hate, or indifferent, okay? Monopoly, who loves it? Yeah, Zane, all right, Michael, Justin, okay. Who hates it? Hates Monopoly, Lisa, <laughs> Peta. Hannah, indifferent, indifferent, okay? Sour Patch Kids, love, hate, indifferent, okay? Sushi, love, hate, BB, indifferent, okay? Marvel movies, love, hate. Indifferent. Nine square. Love. Hate. Indifferent. Okay. March Madness. Love. Hate. Indifferent. Okay. Shopping. Love. Hate. Indifferent. All right. Indifferent. You get it? You understand? If you, if you love it, if you love it or you hate it, you're not indifferent. Intense prayer is not indifferent. So that means that intense prayer loves and intense prayer hates. Sickness, hate it. Healing, love it. Depression, hate it. Because God is not for it. God is, God is a God of joy. Joy and peace, love it. Lies from Satan, hate. Truth of God's word, love. Families separated by war, hate. People lonely, people being placed in families, love. Sin, hate. Forgiveness, love. It is time to pray some intense prayers about things that God loves and things that God hates, the things that break his heart. Listen, prayer is not just about getting God to care about what you care about. It's getting you to care about what he cares about. We want to care what he cares about, right? Elijah didn't chance it. He changed it with intense prayer. New Song students, prayer changes things. There are some things in scripture, Jesus says that only prayer can change. This, they can't get a demon to come out. The disciples are like, what's up with this? And he was like, this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. The only way it's come out is through prayer. The only way that this is changing is through prayer. There are some things that cannot be changed unless you pray. So what do you need to start praying intensely about. Maybe it's encountering God like we talked about earlier. Are you leaving that to chance or are you praying about it? It doesn't have to be, like I said, this loud, intense prayer, like where your, your veins are bulging out. Not that kind of intense, but it has to be intense where you love God and you want to encounter his presence. So you're going to pray like that. God, I want to encounter you today. I'm not just going to leave it up to chance. I'm going to set my alarm early or I'm going to go to bed a little bit earlier so I can be in your word. So you can speak to me. So you can, you can comfort me, love me, lead me, guide me, lead me today, God. I want to encounter you begin to pray a love filled prayer maybe it's finding a better group of friends like you're just hoping that you're gonna run into like 
the people that are going to be your maid of honor and your best man. Like, help me find those core people. I hope, I hope it happens. I'm going to leave it up to chance. No, start praying about it. God loves community. He hates loneliness, so start praying. You want to be used by God to influence somebody, and you're just hoping that the opportunity presents itself. No, start praying. Start praying. Your prayer can change the course of history. You have a prayer inside of you. You have a prayer inside of you that can make a difference. You have a lot of prayers deep inside of you that can make a difference. Now it's time to get them out of you. Begin to pray out change. Begin to partner with God to facilitate change. Don't change it. I mean, no, no, no. Don't chance it. Change it. Yes. Change it. If you would stand to your feet.